Church, we are coming up on the Easter season. I love this season. Um, we, uh, we always rejoice over the fact that he is risen. Somebody turn to your favorite neighbor and say, the Lord is alive and well. That is right, and we are coming up on this, on this season where we uh, celebrate that. We celebrate that the Lord is alive and well, and because he's alive and well, we know he died on the cross, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, but what seals the deal for us is that he rose from the grave, and because he rose from the grave, we know that we get to take part one day in that same resurrection. Anybody glad about that this morning? Me too, and so this is that season that we get to celebrate that. We should celebrate that always, but we choose, obviously, this season to celebrate that. And with that being the case, we have a few weeks coming up to that, and I thought it'd be so great to uh, start us off on a series that I have preached before, never here. Uh, I truly enjoy to preach this series. It is one of my favorite things to preach, I want to talk about the seven sayings of the cross. The seven sayings of the cross. And so over the, the course of time between now and Easter, we will go through the seven sayings of the cross. And hopefully, if all works out and the Holy Spirit doesn't mess it up, maybe we want him to mess it up, um, <clears throat> we will preach we will preach the seven sayings of the cross all the way up to Easter, and then on Easter, we will celebrate the fact that he is risen. Amen. Somebody shout, he is risen. He is risen. All right, I'm getting you ready for Sunday, because, or that, that Easter Sunday, because I really want you to be amped that day, okay? Invite everybody. You remember back in the day when the, old, uh, the churches used to do the pack a pew thing? Well, we got pews, so pack them out, okay? <laughs> Oh, anyway, I'm excited to preach the seven saints of the cross. It is, um, is one of my uh, most favorite things to talk about. The cross. Man, where would we be without the cross? The events of the cross are a perfect depiction of the character of our God and his plan of redemption for the people of the world. The very utterances of Jesus, the things that Jesus said from the cross um, are monumental. They truly shape our faith and our understanding of God's character, and that's why it's so important to preach through these seven sayings, because uh, uh, monumentally they shape our faith and our view of God's character, uh, and I love to look through these sayings. Hey, let's pray, and uh, I would love to get into this. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for what you've done for us on Calvary. God, if it weren't for the cross, where would we be? Lord, only you know. God, we pray today that you would open our hearts, open our minds, help us to be receptive of your word, God. Help us to understand that this freedom that you give uh, so freely, this, this love, this grace, this mercy, it's not something uh, that we earn. It's free. So God, for us in here that are held captive by doubt, for us in here that are held captive by shame, for us that brought our shame and doubt in here, God, we welcome that because we know that when it comes into this place, Lord, uh, you defeat those things and you bring freedom and so God I pray for everyone in here that's struggling with doubt God that you would demolish that stronghold God I pray for everybody in here that's struggling with a bit of shame uh, God that you would de demolish that stronghold through this series God I pray Lord as we look at the cross and the events of it and what you've said Lord Jesus on the cross 
uh, as we look through these things, God, help us to gain perspective, help us to gain wisdom and knowledge, but most of all, God, help us to encounter you, Jesus. We want to encounter the truth of who you are. We want to gain perspective on your character and, and, and let that new perspective of who you truly are to us, Lord, truly shape our faith in the way we walk, talk, and act um, in, in, in our lives. And so, God, we pray this blessing. We pray your blessing over this series. And, God, as we begin to preach, Lord, anoint your word. Anoint this time, God, and let true revival take place within us and in this room today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen? So I should ask the question, where would we be without the cross? Anybody want to answer? Lost? That's easy. Come on. Give me, some, give me some perspective into your life, your testimony. Dead? If it weren't for the cross, I'd be lost in my trespasses and sins. If it weren't for the cross, I wouldn't know a good shepherd If it weren't for the cross, would we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses? If it weren't for the cross, could we sing victory in Jesus? If it weren't for the cross, would we have a song to sing? Some of us have a song to sing, we just don't sing it. If it weren't for the cross, where would we be? We deserved that cross. And I think it's only appropriate that we open this whole series, The Seven Sayings of the Cross, uh, by way of um, acknowledgement that we deserve the cross that Jesus died on. That was our cross. It was the cross for you, meant for you, meant for me, meant for the world. Because of our sins, because of how we've uh, turned our backs on the Lord, because of our um, Even our righteousness being as filthy rags compared to the glory of the Lord, we are destined or we we deserve the cross. We know that the wages of sin is death. And we deserve the very cross that Jesus died on. And that's what makes the cross, the events of the cross and the seven sayings of the cross so monumental. That's what makes it so extraordinary is because the fact that everything that occurs in these uh, sections that we will talk about over the next few weeks, everything that happens was meant for us. It was meant to be us, but it was also meant for us. It was meant for you. Jesus did this for you. He suffered for you. He said these things for you. And make no mistake about it, it's not about you. It's about the glory of the Lord. But it's also about the fact that he loved you so much that even in your trespasses and sins, even when you were the, fur- you were the furthest away from him, he still died for you. The Bible says, even yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, even though you had nothing to offer the Lord and probably still wouldn't have anything to offer the Lord after this payment, he still chose to allow himself to come under the subjection of uh, the cross. How extraordinary. Let us not take this lightly. Let us not take this as some mundane message series. Let us go through this with awe and reverence to what the Lord has done for you and I and for the rest of the world. This is why we have a hope. 
This is why we have a living hope. This is why we have a song to sing. This is why there is praise on our lips. This is why we can sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. This is why the Holy Spirit sings, oh, child of God, you are welcome here. Let us come at this with all in reverence. Let us not treat this as some uh, flippant discussion about the cross, if it weren't for the cross. And so, without further ado, I want to start, and we know that the first utterance of the cross is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you were wondering about the symbolism up there, no, um, the Illuminati has not taken over our Some of you are laughing, some of you are more serious than others. Uh, The Illuminati has not taken over our graphic design. Each symbol means something there, and so don't be offended by anything. Uh, Hopefully you wouldn't. Um, Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. We'll start in verse 32 and go through to verse 38. The Bible says this. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, or Golgotha, the place of the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, and one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. I'm going to read that one more time, and probably a thousand more times throughout this message, but Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. This is all fulfilling prophecy here, Old Testament prophecy. And the people stood watching, and even the leaders were uh, scoffing. He said, or, or even the leaders were scoffing, he saved others, let him save himself. Doesn't that sound like something from uh, the 40 years that Jesus, or the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy? Or if you are the Son of God, cast yourself um, down from the pinnacle of this temple and command the angels to bring you up, to save you, right? The same scoffing here, the same enemy, new levels, same devils. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him and they came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. The first thing to note is um, the words, Father, forgive them, show the merciful heart of God. Remember, I want to talk about the fact that these words that Jesus says from the cross are um, monumental in the fact that they show or depict the very character of God. We know that God, um, or that Jesus is Um, God with us. His name Emmanuel means God with us. And so what Jesus says and does throughout the entirety of the Gospels show the character of our Lord. And here, as Jesus prays this prayer, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. It, It shows the merciful heart of our Lord and the reason why Jesus ever allowed himself to be on that cross in the first place. And and let me just tell you this, Jesus was not 
uh, taken or made to get on the cross. Jesus didn't spill his blood out. He poured it because Jesus was never out of control in this situation. Totally, I believe, totally he was in control of everything and allowed uh, the certain situation to happen and take place for the fulfillment of scripture and for the the, uh, fulfillment of the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for your sin and for the sin of the world, for my sin. But these words, like I said, Father, forgive them, show the merciful heart of God. Jesus looked down from the cross and surely saw a disgusting sight. An extraordinary sight of, um, oh, let's, let's list these off. The Roman soldiers were gambling for his clothes. It was a fulfillment of scripture, but still, could you imagine the sight of Jesus as he looks down and notices the Roman soldiers are gathering or gambling and, and, and gathering up his clothes, casting lots for his clothes right in front of him, right in front of his disciples. The criminals on the cross on either side of him are reviling him, right? They're, they're uh, throwing insults and, and, of course, they're experiencing the same pains and struggles that maybe he were, uh, was at that time. Also, the religious leaders were mocking him. Uh, the crowd was blaspheming him. Remember, the crucifixion or to be crucified was a public display of disgrace. It was meant to disgrace the one to be crucified. It was meant to be a uh, public mocking, if you will. The one on the cross was meant to experience uh, this to the fullest degree. That's why they uh, crucified them in these strategic places. There were multiple crucifixion sites, and there were multiple places and, and times that they would crucify people. This was a normal occurrence. This was a normal thing that happened. And they would crucify people just outside the city gates on a hill called Golgotha. This happened to be the place that Jesus was crucified. And uh, the reason for that uh, place uh, being the place that he was crucified and that others were crucified, uh, the reason that was the place is so that others could see and not only get the picture or a lesson, get the lesson, hey, don't mess with the Roman guard, or uh, you will get this. But then also, uh, they would be able to scorn and laugh and blaspheme and mock the ones that were on the cross, especially Jesus at that, at that time. And here, Jesus prays this extraordinary prayer, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. You hear the compassion. You hear the mercy. You hear the, uh, the, the outpouring of the love of God, even on the ones that are doing all of this right in front of him, even after. And let's not discount the fact that Jesus has experienced hours of trial and beating, and he's been beat within an inch of his life. He's, uh, he's not only experienced the... Um, the nights before, praying in the garden for the world and, and, and for the people that this event would affect. He, he's literally so anxious because he, let's not discount the fact that he's fully God, but he's also fully man, and so he's anxious, and, and, and doctors have even said this is actually even possible, uh, and this goes on to, uh, I want to I preach something about what happens, uh, or how you get olive oil, right? You got to crush an olive to get olive oil. It's extraordinary. It all ties together, and hopefully I'm not confusing you, but Jesus literally sweats blood, the Bible says, as he prays before his time comes to be crucified on the cross. This whole image here of um, Jesus being beaten within an inch of his life and he's seeing the Roman soldiers gambling for his clothes. He's seeing the things prophesied about this very moment coming to fruition in front of him. And the criminals on the cross 
uh, beside him or yelling. And could you imagine all the sounds and, and the, the pains, the agonies? And we, we complain about the things we go through. We complain that we don't have the $5 to go through the Starbucks line. We complain that we don't have the things that we have. And here Jesus is. He's gone through all of this. And yet, even still, he utters, fully God, but still fully man. Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. They don't have a clue what they're doing. In this prayer, Father, forgive them, is a prayer of unmatched mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. What is mercy and grace? What is mercy? Not getting what you deserve. What is grace? Getting what you don't deserve. And here, Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, is a prayer of unmatched mercy and grace. Love. Second thing I want you to notice is that this is an example of Jesus actually practicing what he preached. Look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount here. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, and this is also, um, this denotes the deity of our Lord Jesus. He has the authority, right? He has the authority to say, but I tell you, right? You've heard this, but I tell you this, right? He says, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you with all this authority that he has, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this is Jesus on the cross exemplifying exactly what he preached, practicing what he preached on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus, the persecuted, praying for the persecutors. How extraordinary is that? Truly exemplifying that command to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Any of us perfect at that? Well, I tell you, I'm not. Well, I've had, I've had some times <laughs> where um, I know God wants me to pray for those uh, who are my enemy or who persecute me, but I don't want to. I want to throw a rock at them. I want to throw a rock at them. I want to crucify them, right? And I'm sure there's some people that want to crucify me. And here Jesus is like, I'm, I'm going to show you what this level of spiritual maturity looks like, right? The persecuted praying for the persecutors as they gamble for his clothes in front of him as his body's leaking the last ounces of blood that he has left in his body. It's an extraordinary sight. It is a remarkable occurrence and a perfect depiction of the character of God. All of this is a depiction of the character of our Lord. His love, grace, and mercy his extraordinary love for you and I. It's more than the simple uh, reciting of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's so cute when the kids get up here and, and say that stuff. But when you really get into what this all means, when you really get into what it means that God gave his only son, and what is that, like it's simple to just say God gave his only son, but what does that actually mean? It means this, it means the cross, and the cross is dark. The cross is scary. The cross is bloody. It's disgusting. It's reviling. We, we don't, like this is politically incorrect. YouTube would, would block this video. TikTok would cancel this video. 
Instagram would not show this video. Facebook would put the, the, the censored thing over the video of the cross. It's wild. It's real. It's real. It's more than pastel colors and, and, and really, really awesome looking people on a Sunday morning dressed up in suits and nice dresses. It's real. And here, Jesus is practicing what he preaches. And coupled with the willingness of Jesus to forgive his tormentors is the fact that they really don't know what they're doing. <coughs> the persecutors, the, um, the soldiers here are... are not really mad at Jesus, are they? Like, they hold no ill will towards Jesus. The, the soldiers don't. They're simply following orders. This was how they normally treated condemned people. The cross is not a rare occurrence in this day. The cross happened, happened weekly, probably. I don't know for sure, but the cross was a reoccurring event. This was something that the whole town could come out to. Hey, you going to the crucifixion today? Yeah, buddy, I think I will. I got some lamb in the oven waiting. For afterwards, we'll get together and have a potluck. That's the, that was the attitude towards a crucifixion. And here the soldiers, they had no ill will towards Jesus. They were just doing what they were uh, hired to do. They were doing their job. They normally treated condemned men this way. And they believed that he was truly, in, like he deserved it. He was just another condemned man. He was just the same. They believed that Jesus was just the same. They're just following orders. This was how they normally treated condemned people. They didn't know that they were killing the Son of God, or that they were taking part of something that was extraordinary prophecy, told amongst groups and crowds for thousands of years. At this point, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says this On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. A wisdom God predestined before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, and this is what I want you to pay attention to, and if you underline anything in your Bible, underline this here in verse 8. Because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't have a clue what they were doing. They literally just didn't have a clue. The magnitude of what they were doing. If, he, if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. The third thing that I want you to notice about this account or this, this utterance of Jesus on the cross, this very first part to this seven sayings of the cross series here, is that Jesus' prayers were literally answered right before his eyes. I'll tell you how. Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, was answered in the lives of many people here, and this is how it fleshed out, in a sense. The Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, we read about, upon seeing how Jesus died, he exclaimed, surely this man was the Son of God. Surely this man was the son of God, having witnessed the, the total account. 
coming to the conclusion, surely this man was the son of God. One of the two thieves we know about, we'll talk about next week, crucified with Jesus, exercised faith in Christ, and was promised to be with him in paradise. Answer to Jesus' prayer. A member of the Sanhedrin publicly aligned himself with Jesus. And a little over a month later, and this is my favorite part, 3,000 people in Jerusalem were saved in one day as the church began in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41, on the day of Pentecost. Now, I know us Baptists don't like to talk too much about the day of Pentecost, but where's my Pentecostal friends at, or my Baptocostal friends at in this place? Somebody give God a shout of glory if you believe that on one day, sometime in history, the Spirit of the living God fell like fire among the heads of the disciples and Peter and John and the other disciples begin to exclaim the glory of the Lord in languages that they had never known before and that day the very spread of the gospel of Jesus happened as 3,000 people gave their life to the, uh, the call and the glory of our Lord Jesus and in different tongues and in different nationalities they begin to spread and the gospel of Jesus then reached the ends of the earth. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is in the middle of doing something new today, that glory is coming upon the face of the earth, like revival like we've never seen. Some of y'all went and watched the Jesus Revolution. Buddy, I'm gonna tell you what, if we allow the Holy Spirit to move inside of us, they're gonna make a movie about you. They're gonna make a movie about your generation because I'm gonna tell you, God is chomping at the bits to do something new in this generation. He is raising up a generation unlike any other uh, uh, nations are receiving revival right here. It's not just colleges, it's global. God's spirit is being poured out afresh and anew globally. And we can either choose to sit here like this and pout about it, or we can get up in it. I think about the Israelites. I think about when the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, they were crossing the Jordan into Jericho, into the promise, right? Finally, they were on the brim of the promise, and the Ark of the Covenant was there, and, and God said to Moses, hey, you better tell the Israelites, you better tell them this, they better stand back and watch. And when the feet of the priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant hit the water, and you see that water split, that's when you move. Because this is a direction you've never gone before. Church, I'm here to submit to you that we are going in a direction that maybe you've never seen before. And we better not sit around crossing our arms and pouting about it. We better get right up in the midst of it. We better watch the Holy Spirit move and go with the Holy Spirit. If you, you see the Holy Spirit move, I'll just wrap it up by saying you better move with it. On the cross, Jesus provided forgiveness for all those who would ever believe in him. Matthew 20, verse 28, and that's many, says this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom. He loves you. He cares about you. Yes, you. He cares about everything that you care about. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He wants that relationship with you. He cares about the struggles you have. He cares about the hangups you have. He cares about your fears, your anxieties, your pains, and he has come to be the ransom for that. Come to be the ransom for you. Jesus paid the penalty for the sins that we would commit in our ignorance, but also even the ones that we would commit deliberately. Some of us, some of us find ourselves in rebellion, 
We'll talk about a reprobate state maybe one day. We'll talk about what happens in that state of where we find ourselves so far away from the Lord and, and we don't notice what, like, why in the world everybody else can lift a hand of praise but we can't and is it because the Holy Spirit's not here or is it because we're in this state of separation or, or our fellowship with the Lord's been kind of broken by our sin? That's a whole different message. It's a reprobate state. Look into it. Don't listen to every leader that you hear but look into it. Do your own study. Hey, do this. This is, this is a very uh, novel thing to do. Uh, let the Holy Spirit within you and your prayer life with the Lord and your study of the scriptures weigh out what is good and right and holy. That scripture, that's a good message for you. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And when we are born again, when we give our life to Christ, right, when we decide that we want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our life, not just Lord, but not just Savior either. Yes, he, he saved us to the uttermost, right? He gives us now a peace that surpasses all understanding, and our sin does not hold us captive anymore, but he's also Lord, and so we, we live for him, and we obey him, and we bow to him, right? We serve him. We live ultimately for him. He is Lord and Savior, and when we are born again, and we take part into this adoption of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we too become an answer to Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer on the cross is still being answered 2,023 years later. Isn't that remarkable? So you can't tell me God still don't answer prayers. God still answers prayers. God still answers prayers. And when you come to the Lord with a contrite heart, when you come to the Lord broken in your trespasses and sins, when you come to him and you're not afraid to bring him your trials, when you're not afraid to bring him your struggles, we have a problem as a human, uh, it's, a, it's a human condition, we have a problem of admitting when we are wrong. We have a problem of admitting uh, when we've done something bad or done something wrong. And so that's where shame comes into play. Because we can't admit it, because we have a problem with confession, shame comes upon us, right? It's the weight that bears upon us because we are unable to admit our sin. We are unable to admit and confess where we've gone wrong. But the Bible says that he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so if we would come to the Lord and we would give him our shame, if we would confess our sins before him, the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive them and he will give us a new life, a new life that is worth living. He will commission us on the path of righteousness. And no, we'll never reach perfection here on this earth, but I'll tell you what, he'll clean you up and he'll make you right with him and he will walk with you, he will go with you and like the Holy Spirit, like the Bible says, the Holy Spirit then tabernacles within you and you become, you become something that harbors, you aid and abed the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you go throughout this earth and you can know and you can hear and you can see, you, you ever hear somebody talking about like I heard the Lord, no, we didn't hear him come out of the clouds like thunder, maybe like Moses did, but it's something inside of us, it's the Holy Spirit inside of the believer that can hear God's call. It's the comforter. It's the one who, when we are on our knees and we're, and we're crying out to the Lord, and we, we sound like gibberish. We can't even make sense of any word that comes out of our mouth. The Holy Spirit goes on our behalf, and he kind of, he, he translates our jumbling and our groanings into true words, and, and he, he, go, he intercedes for us to the Father. 
It's this thing that happens. It's a miraculous thing. It's this transplant, right? God takes our heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh, a tabernacle for the Holy Spirit. Boy, I could get on that for a minute. I get worked up thinking about the cross. The cross is monumental to our faith. If it weren't for the cross, somebody, on the cross, Jesus provided forgiveness for all those who would ever believe in him. I made mention of John chapter 3, verse 16, but it goes on from there. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that if those, verse 17, uh, those that uh, have believed in him are not condemned, but those that do not believe in him are condemned already. He's not come to condemn the world, but if you don't believe in him, that's enough to condemn you already. And the way some Christians walk and talk and act today, I'm convicted that a lot of us may claim Christianity or Christ-likeness, let that settle. Um, Some of us may claim Christianity, but the Lord is not in us. We've not believed. We don't truly believe. We don't truly, we've not truly given our life to the Lord. I don't know. I'm just not naive to think for one second that in a room this size, somebody in here doesn't need to do business with the Lord. This is what Jesus will do in your life. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they are doing. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. We're, we're born and we, and you may have seen this before, and if you have, just keep your mouth closed and let this uh, minister to you. Uh, we're, we're born into this life and, and we find ourselves in places of sin where we give ourselves over to the temptation of the enemy, right? The enemy comes and he, uh, he tempts us with this or that that would, uh, that would not be glorifying to the Lord. We, we find ourselves in sin and we know even our, fil- uh, even our ra- righteousness is as filthy rags and so our, our sin mars us, it marks us, it makes us dirty and and. We know our sin is as a crimson stain, and, and what happens is uh, we, we may go to church one day or something, we notice, oh, uh, yeah, I'm a little dirty, I need some cleaned up, but what we look at is religion, not relationship, and so what religion will do for you is when you get in here, uh, religion will just uh, begin to make things more dirtier. It just spreads the dirt, right, and it spreads the 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 pain and the struggle and what happens is we find ourselves coming out dirtier than we came in. And when religion don't work, we come back out here and we just hang back up. And we find ourselves, we'll dabble in some more stuff. We'll dabble in some more stuff and we'll get, we'll get worse. We'll get worse and it just, it just, encompasses us and our sin just stains us and we can't get clean of it. And what happens is one day, one day we find ourselves in this predicament when some of us may even try church again. Let's see, we'll try church again and, and our family 
is stained by it and our friends begin to be marked by it and everything that surrounds us is, is then marred and, and, and marked by our sin and so that's why our families can't get a grip. That's why my kids don't like me. That's why my wife can't stand me. That's why we always fight. We always argue. That's why I can't get off the drugs. That's why I can't get out of that pill addiction. That's why I can't stop going to the bars. That's why I can't stop looking at pornography. Can I preach? That's why I can't get away of what's held me captive. It's because I've tried religion. I've tried to just check off my Christian checklist. But what happens is it leaves me more marred than it does saved. Sooner or later, I'm unrecognizable to what I actually was in the first place. But then Jesus comes. And some of y'all are like, well, that looks the same. And that's what they said when they put Jesus on the cross. He looks the same. It's the same cross. It's an average cross. It's an average man. That, he's just the same. But there was something different about Jesus. Come on, somebody. And when Jesus steps up into your life, something happens. Something begins to take place. And colors change. And he'll actually clean you up. And he'll make you into a new garment. And he'll clean you as white as snow. Come on, somebody. Though my sin be as crimson stain, his blood has washed me white as snow. Is anybody here going to worship the Lord today or what? Give God a hand clap of praise if you know his glory is powerful. And what he's done on the cross is exactly this. We will overcome somebody by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. This is what the word of our testimony does. We begin to tell people about how Jesus took us out of that pill, uh, that pill addiction. How Jesus changed our lives. How Jesus washed me white as snow. We begin to spread that testimony, we invite folks to church, we begin to talk about what Jesus has done for me and what happens is in every part of our life, every part of our life, every part of our life, come on somebody, give God a hand clap of praise, every part of our life, God begins to mold and shape and clean and, and make right and make new. Now we may need a new a uh, new thing here in a second. <laughs> this is what I came to say, church. This is what I came to say. Jesus will make you right. Jesus will clean you up. He'll make you brand new. He'll take your crimson stain. He'll take your pill addiction. He'll take your, your drug addiction. He'll take your porn addiction. He'll take that family that you can't get right with. He'll take those broken relationships, and he'll fix them. He's a God who redeems. He's a God who restores. He does his best work with a broken vessel. He is the potter. We are the clay. Come on, somebody. Give God an opportunity to make a move in your life. Give God a chance to really change you. You've been working in your own strength. You've been working in your own power. Yeah, I'm going to get on these nicotine patches. No, give the nicotine to the Lord and see if he won't take it all the way from you. You want to know why you're still stuck on those nicotine patches? Because you haven't given it all the way to the Lord. You want to know why your family's still broken? It's because you haven't given it all the way to the Lord. Somebody say all the way. Somebody say all the way. Jesus went all the way for you. Why won't you go all the way for him? Come on, somebody. Jesus went all the way for you. Why won't you go all the way for him? He went all the way to the cross of Calvary for you. Come on, Ben. You can come on up after, after this gets folded up. 
Come on, y'all. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel message preached today. Hey, Jesus went all the way for you. He went all the way to the cross of Calvary, endured the, the, the beatings and the cross. He looked upon the people that put him up on the cross, and he prayed this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they don't have a clue what they are doing. And I wonder how many people sitting right here right now God has prayed that prayer for, and you feel it. You feel the Holy Spirit's conviction. He's prayed that prayer for all of us. Jesus, as he sat on the cross or hung on the cross for your sin and mine, he prayed that prayer for all of us in this room. But maybe you individually know, hey, I haven't been going all the way for the Lord. There's something I need to give to the Lord all the way. I need to give it all to the Lord. I need to give all this addiction away. I need to give all my anger away. I need to give all my issues to the Lord. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Because he cares for you. We want to give you this opportunity to respond to the gospel now as they begin. Hey, everybody stand with me and make a move. I'm not naive to think that somebody doesn't need to come down here and do business with the Lord. I'm not naive to think that there's somebody in here whose heart isn't pounding out of their chest because they know the Holy Spirit is in this room and wants to clean them up and make them right. So choose this day who you will serve. As for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. God went to great lengths to provide a way for you.